Evolve into Power is a podcast and a mission to highlight Central Florida's community and business leaders in the hopes of sharing the lessons they've learned with you all to help you evolve into power. In today's episode, Max and Dr. Alicia Clarcius were joined by Michael Blair, the Chief Financial Officer at Miller's Alehouse Restaurants, a rapidly growing casual dining concept with 97 restaurants in 13 states across the country. Prior to being with Miller's Alehouse, he worked his way up to being the International Chief Financial Officer of Bloomin' Brands, a multinational company with multiple restaurant brands that oversees nearly 1,500 restaurants worldwide. Here's his story. We hope you enjoy All right. Hello, Mr. Blair, and welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Terrific. Terrific, terrific. Oh, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be here with us. Uh, we know that in your current position, you're the CFO of um, uh, Miller, Miller Ale's House Restaurants, and uh, you're also responsible for uh, the international markets as well as the franchise markets. Is that well? Is that right? Well, at Miller's, we uh, we're company owned, so we have uh, we have ninety eight restaurants in about thirteen states, uh, all company owned. So, in my previous life at Bloomin' Brands, I was uh, responsible for the international division, um, traveling all over the world, both uh, both equity and uh, franchise markets. That's fantastic. Well, take us back a little bit. Uh, you know. You're, you're back seven, eight, nine years old. Did you know you would be in a role like this? Uh, tell us about what your dreams and aspirations were then. Whew, yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Never, never would have dreamed, um, never would have dreamed of this, right? So seven, eight years old, very, very humble beginnings. Uh, my, uh, my father a, was a carpenter, a union man. Um, you know, my mom worked part-time you know, as, a, as a church secretary maybe 15, 20 hours a week. Um, nothing, nothing big around, around seven or eight years old. My, my parents split, um, lived with my mom, um, you know, still saw my dad, you know, regularly, but, uh, yeah, very, very humble, modest, uh, beginning, certainly never dreamed I'd, I'd end up in a role like this. In fact, I was, um, you know, I took, I took the road less travel up traveled. I would say I've, uh, I was never a good student, uh, <laughs> I, I'm raised, I, I, I was the worst. My my mom will attest to some very troubled report cards through the years. Sure. Um, I sort of just just got by, you know. I, I I did enough. I was I was the epitome of the C will get you a degree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Students. I graduated from Hillsborough High School in Tampa, Florida, with. Uh, Something around a 2.4 GPA, nothing certainly to write home about. Um, <laughs> college was college was never a a certainty for me. I was never the, you know, you're you you come from this long lineage of you know college graduates, and you know you you just that's just what you do. I mean, my right. my dad never dreamed of college. You know, I have I have four older siblings. None of them graduated from college, so I was wow. the I was the first of you know of my dad's kids to to graduate college, and and college wasn't a certainty. I mean, I graduated with a with a very low GPA. No four year universities would would even look at me, nor should they have. At, right. So, I um, I sort of reluctantly signed up for for community college classes at, at Hillsborough Community College with no path in terms of, hey, I want to go do this or or I want to go do that. I just I went and, and I sort of I sort of floundered for about yeah. three years at, at Hillsborough typical. Community College. 
Yeah, yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir, brother. If if, yeah. if, 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 they, if, if, if they had a, a class for laziness when I was in college, I, w- I would have graduated top of my class. But I, I had no idea. Trust me, I, I'm with you. Same, same. I Yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, no idea what I wanted to be. I just assumed I would get a job somewhere and become, you know, maybe I could work up to, to a, you know, regional manager of, of some chain place, but never <laughs> dreamed that, that I would, um, you know, that I would end up where I am, you know, in, in college, I, I worked a lot, you know, I worked in the restaurant industry, certainly didn't have aspirations of, of doing that as a career, but I was a server and a bartender and, you know, did all those types. I delivered pizzas, um, yeah, did all types of different, different <laughs> jobs in college just to, you know, to get by and, you know, have some money to spend and pay my rent and, and, and do those types of things. But, you know, I floundered for about three years at HCC. I finally graduated again with a low GPA. I was able to take advantage of the rule in Florida, at least at the time. I don't know if it's still there, but if you graduate with, from a accredited community college in Florida, basically one of the four-year colleges has to accept you. I mean, you as a transfer, like you, you're, you're given the, the opportunity. So I looked around and, and at the time I had some friends at Florida State, I had some friends at the University of Florida. And for a brief moment, I, I thought, wow, that would be a lot of fun to, to join them there. But I was self-aware enough to know that I needed to go somewhere on my own and somewhere <laughs> smaller where I had a smaller classrooms, more accountability, sure. less distractions. So I actually went to the University of North Florida. All right. I went up, I looked at yeah. the campus one time and, and I applied. I said, well, this looks like a pretty cool place. It's close to the beach. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some cool things happening. So I applied and, and I got accepted. And so I transferred there. And uh, I spent my last two years of college there. I actually was able to graduate on my new timeline. I was a year late relative to when I graduated high school, but I was able to at least, you know, remain on track, you know, going yeah. to UNF. But when I got there, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to, at that time, go be in radio. You know, I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be a, you know, a shock jock or, or some, some type of morning drive time radio host. That was kind of what, what I wanted to do. And did you have a whole script ready for you yourself for the radio host? Absolutely. I was, I was ready. I was ready to go. So I, I was all fired up. I went and they had this, um, you know how you know at the college orientations they have the all the different groups and the tables that you go visit and in the, right. the college radio station was there. And so I said, Oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to waltz right in here. I'm going to get on the air. Like, this is going to be great. So I started talking to them and I showed up, you know, like the next day told me like, Hey, come back on Monday or, or, or whatever it was. And so they're like, here's the program that you have to follow in order to actually be on the air. Yeah. And so you had to spend a certain amount of time, like learning the ropes and everything, right. which made complete sense, but as a, you know, naive, 21 year old, whatever I was at the time, I thought, Oh, I'm just going to waltz in here. You know, I'll, I'll be better than anybody. So I'll be able to do it. I have no experience, but here we go. <laughs> so I started, I started doing the math in my head. I said, geez, by the time I even get on the air, I'm going to be graduating. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I pivoted off of the, off of the radio thing. I said, well, I was going to be a communications major. Now I got to go find something else. So I actually ended up majoring in political science and minoring in communications. So I have I have no finance degree whatsoever. Wow. And so I, I graduate from the University of North Florida, uh, a 2.9 GPA. You know, it, it rounds to a three. It was like yeah. 2.95 right. something. So I, <laughs> but it's, it's an upgrade. 
Right. I, sometimes I was about to say there's improvement. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did improve at UNF. But if you look at the transcripts by the letter of the law, I believe it was a 2.9. So I graduate and I, uh, I I don't know what to do. I don't I, I didn't do internships. I didn't I mean, I, I, I don't have a job. So I, I moved uh, I moved back home and I actually moved moved back in uh, to my mom's house for the first time in in a lot of years. And I was, mm-hmm. I was and I have a similar experience as well. It, uh, yeah, it's like I was fortunate that I was able to do that. And so I, I moved back, you know, with my mom and and after the first couple months of, of you know, kind of, you know, hanging out with friends and, and catching up and pretending that I was still in college, even though I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> once the once the deposit check from my from my dorm room ran out, <laughs> I decided I had to get a job. Right. right. And and I had no idea what to do. I had no prospects. I had I had no pedigree really to speak of. Um, but I had a I had a friend of mine whose sister was a HR recruiter for the Home Shopping Network, HSN in, in St. Petersburg, Florida. And he had gotten a couple of my other friends some jobs. So I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I've got an in, at least I can get an interview. You know, I'll get a great office job. Like, it's, you know, it's going to be great. Sure. So I, so my, I had my friend set up the call with his sister and she's going through some different things. And she's like, this is what we kind of have available and blah, 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 blah. And so I interviewed for, for the roles and I got the call and they're, they're like, hey, we're, we're really pleased to offer you a role at HSN. And I'm like, yes, like, this is it. This is my big debate. <laughs> and she says the role is the role is as a backstage coordinator working on the live TV set. It pays, I believe it was like 1125 an hour at the time. And by the way, you will be working overnights. Oh. And your days off are going to be Monday and Tuesday. So, wow. Yeah. So I kind of paused for a minute on the phone and I, and I said, well, I, you know, you got to start somewhere. So right. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. You know, when, when do I start? That was a good attitude. So I showed up and, and it was tough. It, you know, working oh, overnight, sure. I, I got a lot of respect for anybody that does that on a, mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis. I did it for exactly six months and, and I, um, you know, it was a very entry level role. I schlepped samples basically when you, you know, if you've ever seen HSN and you see the jewelry spinning mm-hmm. on the, on the thing, or you see the products on the set, mm-hmm. I was responsible for bringing those products on the set, you know, setting them up, making sure they look right, taking them off, swapping them out in between, you okay. know, and that's what I did. That's what I did for, for six months. And I think I got off of work around seven o'clock in the morning. Don't remember exactly what time I went in, but it was late, maybe, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And that's what I did for six months. And I quickly realized that working overnights just wasn't for me. I was, yes, uh, and I worked overnights for about two or three years. And it, it was my husband that had to bring me off of night. So I understand it. I had 12 hour shifts. It, it was hard. I have a lot of respect for anybody that has to do that on an, on an ongoing basis because it, it just wasn't for me. So there was, a, there was a rule at HSN at the time that if you were an hourly employee, I mean, you got paid by the hour, you had to work in your role for at least six months before you could apply to another role in the company. I see. Mm-hmm. So I served my six months and almost six, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You know, at the, at the time I thought it was, it, you know, it obviously wasn't, but it, you know, at the time you're like, man, this is terrible. I got to get off of this. <laughs> and so I applied to, to another role that, that was over in what we called the tower, you know, the TV people called the tower, which is where all the, you know, the executives in the office people, they work the, the normal nine to five type of a type of a role Monday through Friday. Um, so I was in the, the next building over. 
So I applied for a role there as a, um, a merchandise assistant was the role. And really what that, that role entailed was working with vendors, um, you know, helping cut purchase orders and just learning just general basics about, about business. So I applied for that role. I interviewed and, and I actually received the job. I think they gave me an extra 50 cents an hour or something. I still an hourly role, but I got, I got into a normal business environment, you know, the cubicles and the computers and, and everything else. And that's, that's kind of what I thought, like, this is probably a better fit for me than, than the TV life. Yeah. So I did that role and I did that role for, for probably, probably a good, I don't know, nine, 10 months or so. And I'd actually gotten involved in a kickball league at HSN. So some people that I had just kind of become acquaintances with, they're like, Hey, we have a kickball team. Like you should join, you know, you, you know, you look like you're a decent enough athlete. Like, you know, when we have fun and we, we, uh, you know, we go out after and, and everything else. And I was still in my early twenties. So I said, Hey, this is great. <laughs> so we ended up meeting a number of people there. And some of those people worked in the actual like planning department, they planned out the shows and there was a little bit more of the financial components to it. Well, they ended up having an open role in their department and they said, Hey, you should apply for it. So I said, okay, you know, I will. So I applied for that role and that was as a associate show planner, I think was, was the name of the role or associate planner. I can't remember uh, exactly what it was called at the time, but that was actually a salaried, you know, position. So it was technically a step up. So I applied for that role and I also got that. And I think it was, it was barely, you know, I think I was making like 28,000 at the time it made, it might've paid me like 32, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a huge, but it was a step up. It was a step yeah. in the right and direction. What, and what year is this, Michael? This is, um, this would have probably been 2005. Okay. Okay. And so I, I, I did that role and, and I liked it and I learned. So what I was doing is I was building different skill sets. I was building different things into my toolbox, right? Different, different roles, working with mm-hmm. different people, working with different types of people, learning what styles of leadership I liked, learning what styles of leadership I didn't like. And I was, you know, processing all that. And I was learning how to work in an office and how the, how the politics and how, how to navigate yourself around, you know, the office. So at the time I'm, I'm in my mid twenties and I'm, I'm in this role for maybe a year or so, you know, I spent about two and a half years total at, at home shopping network. And I'm starting to get that itch of, I've only ever lived in Florida for my whole life, you know, whether it was Tampa or whether it was Jacksonville for college, mm-hmm. I've only ever lived in Tampa. Like there's gotta be something else out there for me. Right. So some friends and I had taken a trip over the summer and we were in like Lake Tahoe and in San Francisco and in just really having a great time as, yeah. you know, single guys in our twenties that were able to, to do that type of stuff at the time, didn't mm-hmm. have the family and those types of things to worry about. So I got this itch to go live on the West coast. Hmm. And, and I told my friends at the time and, and the people that I worked with, I said, hey, I'm going to start applying to roles on the West Coast. And they kind of were like, oh, yeah, OK, you know, sure. Like, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people talk a big game. Right. But I was after I was like, I was applying everywhere. I applied to, to Nordstrom in Seattle. I applied to Macy's in San Francisco in, in the Gap in San Francisco and just waited and mm-hmm. I got a couple of calls. The first people to call me were actually Macy's and they, they flew me out to interview. And this was a big deal. I mean, they, it was kind of a last minute thing. Was there any fear? Obviously you've been in Florida. 
You're yeah. trying to change uh, location a little bit. But is there any fear? Because you're now starting to build some relationships at HSN. You're moving up, one mm -hmm. can perceive. Is there any fear about leaving this behind and starting completely fresh? Not at this moment. Not not at this moment. This moment, it's excitement. It's hey, I've got I've got this I've got this itch and and I've got to scratch it right. I've, yeah. I have mm -hmm. to like I have to see it through. That's just uh, that's kind of how I am. Once I get once I get onto something, I'm like okay, I gotta see I gotta see if there's anything here. Okay, okay. So Macy's calls and they said, look, we want you to come out and we want you to interview. And there was a last minute ticket, so they actually had me on in first class. And I had, wow. I'd, wow. never flown, I'd never flown first class before. This was Macy's like, doing I'm big like, things. I'm a, I'm a business <laughs> executive, like big shot here, right? This is a right. So I actually had to go get a suit, right? And and you know, <laughs> gotta get a suit. Warehouse, and I got you know, and I, and I was ready. I was ready. Right. I was ready to roll. So I get to San Francisco. They put me up in this, I mean, amazing hotel. I still remember wow. this hotel Nico in San Francisco. I had a TV built into the bathroom mirror. I mean, like, like we're talking something I had never, I had never yeah. experienced. Yeah. Before. Your a, mind is blown right now. Uh -huh. I was a motel or, or worse <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a guy growing up. You know, that's sure. where, right. where we stayed on the road. Whatever was, you know, thirty bucks or less. So this was a big deal to me. So I interviewed with Macy's and this role was actually for associate buyer of semi-precious gemstones. Mm. Now you're probably saying, well, that's kind of strange, but at the time at HSN, I actually worked on the jewelry side of the business as, right. a, as a planner. And so while I'm out there interviewing for this role, it's really great. I'm in San Francisco. I mean, it's in like the flagship building, the offices are upstairs. You got the view and everything. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. So I interviewed and as I was leaving, I got a phone call and it was from a recruiter from Gap Inc. And they said, Hey, we got your resume and we're interested in interviewing you. Would you be interested in flying out? And I said, well, conveniently, you know, as, co as coincidence <laughs> has it, I'm yeah. actually local right now. I was out here interviewing with Macy's for another role. Wow. So I think that actually got them the fact that I was interview interviewing with someone else that, mm -hmm that clicked in their head and they said, well, let's see if we can put an interview panel together for you. Mm -hmm. Wow. So they, they basically set it all up so that I, you know, I was able to basically go right from my Macy's interview and I walked from Macy's to, to the, um, to the gap building. Wow. And I didn't realize at the time how far that was, or I think it was before smartphones, you couldn't really track, mm -hmm. but I was like, I'm going to walk it. I'm in San Francisco. It's a free trip. So I walked in and it was a pretty good walk. Luckily the weather there is very, agreeable. So I wasn't a, a sweaty mess as I would have been here in Florida. Wow. But I, I arrived and I thought the Macy's interview went so well that I was so relaxed for this gap interview. I mean, I, I had a panel of people. I probably interviewed with eight or nine different folks from Gap Inc. at various levels. You and were in the zone right now. I was in the right. zone. I mean, yeah. I, I, I absolutely nailed the interview. So I left, I got back on the plane and, and I flew back to Tampa. When I got back to Tampa, I had a voicemail on my phone from Gap that said, hey, they loved you. We know you're deep in talks with Macy's. We hope it's not too late. We'd like to put an offer together for you if you just give us a day. That's awesome. So here I'm thinking, I'm like, this is easy. <laughs> what's the, you know, what's the, what's the hard, what's the hard part here? Right. So I get home and, and, and it's, this has all happened really, really quickly. Of course. So I hadn't really had a chance to kind of fully digest 
you know, everything at the time, but gap came in and they put an aggressive offer together. Macy's, they, they didn't pay a lot. You know, the, the culture from what everything that I could find out wasn't, wasn't super great. Gap was young. It was energetic. Yeah. You know, the culture was outstanding. So I took the gap role, but that was really where my crossroads was because the Macy's role member was in buying. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a whole different ball game from merchandise planning, which is where I went into where you're responsible for inventory levels. You're responsible for, you know, basically the gross margin of all the products. So you have a financial responsibility that you need to figure out and be able to plan and, and budget for. Right. So that was the, that was a crossroads for me taking that gap role that allowed me to get uh, really some building blocks in financial planning and analysis that's mm-hmm. allowed me to, you know, have the role that I have today. And when did you, Michael, start to feel in your skin? Like, obviously, a leak for faith on the Macy's and then Gap came through. When did you start feeling like, yes, this is me. I can do this. Not that you're CFO yet, but I'm starting to feel more comfortable in myself. I'm starting to feel more comfortable in my role. And I can see this playing out long term. That's a great question and a great segue, because when I when I got the old Navy role, it was it was above my head. That that role was above my head. And and when I got there, it it became very apparent very quickly that I would have to really work and Mm -hmm. really figure this thing out quick before I got found out. (laughs) I get there. You say, oh, no. I don't know how to do any of this. And the fake it till you make it is not going to work there. Yeah. I'm thinking they're going to, they're going to fire me. (laughs) And it was a struggle at first. I was, I didn't, I didn't take to it right away, but I found people there that I, that I built a relationship with quickly that I trusted and was able to leverage them and learn from them. And so while I'm trying to make it work, I'm asking questions, right? I'm like, Hey, Mm -hmm. how, what do you think about this? Or how should I think about that? Right. I think, Sometimes people get put in a situation like that and they just think, well, I just got to figure it all out myself. And you do have to figure out a lot of it yourself. Mm-hmm. I had to teach myself Excel. I didn't know. I didn't know how to use Excel and everything in there <laughs> is complicated Excel workbook. So I'm, you know, tracing back formulas and, and, and doing everything else. But in the meantime, I'm leveraging other people that are willing to help. Exactly. Me, and I'm leveraging those people for help. So that helped me get up to speed. And I ended up going from probably one of the worst, you know, merchandise planners that they had there to, you know, really good. I I wouldn't say I was the best, but I was, I was really good by the time I was ready to leave Gap Inc. Like I had gotten myself to a point where, Hey, I can do this. I didn't think I would be, you know, a VP or anything like that, but I thought, Hey, I can make a living doing this. So with all the the people that have helped you and kind of leveraged you to the position in which you were, Tell the listeners how important it is to have like a mentor, you know, behind them and on their side, just so that they can get through certain daily tasks or, you know, it's a must. It's a must. I mean, you've, you know, I would, I would encourage everyone, you know, I don't want to say ignore the role you're taking because, because the role is important, but pick the job because of the people and because of the leadership and the mentor that you're going to be taking more so than whatever you think that that role might be. You could have a role that you think is just going to be awesome. It's a big step for you, but if it's somebody that's not going to have your career, your development and your best interest at heart, 
it's not going to be the right move for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael, talk about the, the talk to the know it all out there, right? Uh, you said you were there. You're just trying to figure out. Uh, you're trying to figure it out. You had some amazing people help you. Talk to the person that they have all the answers. They know it all already, and they don't need a mentor. They don't need any assistance because they they've got it figured out. Yeah, that's a tough one because there, if there's if there's one thing that I think might be as important or more important than anything else, it's self awareness. And if you're not self-aware, that that's a hard thing to teach. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would just encourage you to, to look in the mirror and, and really give yourself a full assessment because everybody has strengths and everyone has opportunities. I don't like calling them weaknesses. I like call them opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. There's everybody has something that they're not great at. And mm-hmm. the key to overcoming that is to acknowledge it. And to f- surround yourself with people that are good at that task. You know, you don't right. want a bunch of people just like you mm-hmm. on the same team, because then you, you've got the same, you've got the same thought process. You've got the same skill set. It's just redundant. You have got to really right. round yourself out with the people that do things better than you do. And that's, that's a hard thing for some people to, to kind of come to, to, to grasp right. on, mm-hmm. but it's very important to have that self-awareness. And if you don't have it, I strongly suggest you try to figure out how to get it. Yeah, that's so, that's well said. Uh, for example, my wife and I, we work on a lot of things together. She's the organizer. She wants to dot every T's. I'm a people person. I just want to be with people. And she actually grounds me and says, hey, slow down. We need to get this, this, and that in a row. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Very intricate. So now that you gave us your timeline, tell us, what would you tell your 18 year old self now that, you know, you went through this, you heard your timeline, you made some mistakes, you know, that you could have done some things better. What would you say to your 18 year old self to say, you know, Hey, maybe you should do it this way before you, you get in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You know, I'm think, trying to think back to, you know, myself at 18 years old. And if, if I would have even listened to, you know, to, <laughs> to myself right now, and, I, and the answer is probably I wouldn't, but I would just say, look, don't, don't get caught up so much in the, in the here and the now on everything. So when, what I mean by that is early in my career, I, I was, I've always been very driven in my career life and I've always wanted to, to get to the next level. And I've always wanted to, to have more responsibility and, and, and build my basket. But what would bother me a lot early in my career is if, if somebody else you know, got promoted over me. And I thought to myself, you know, very honest assessment of like, look, I, I do it better than they do. Like, why did they get promoted? And that would, that would bother me early in my career. And I, and I admit that fully, but what's happened, you know, over time is, and, and what I would encourage younger people and people just starting out their careers is don't pay attention to all that so much worry mm-hmm. about what responsibilities you have what you are learning, who you're surrounding yourself with, because mm-hmm. many of those same people that beat me to the manager level or beat me to the director level, <laughs> they're still a manager. Right. They're mm-hmm. still a director. So it doesn't matter. It's a long career. Yes. And don't get so discouraged or don't get so flustered because you didn't get to where you thought you were supposed to be when you mm-hmm. thought you were supposed to be. We're all on our own timelines. Right. Some people find success in their 60s and 70s. Some people right. find their success in their 20s. 
and, and, and everywhere in between. So you're on your own timeline and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. It'll work out in the end. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. I, I think that's well said because I often hear people, you know, how is he doing this? How is he mm-hmm. doing that? And yet, um, you know, like you said, focus on you. Tell us about uh, three resources or maybe three people that's been instrumental in helping you to develop and become who you are today. You read my mind. Sure. So the first, the first, um, you know, I'll, I'll lump, uh, I'll lump two in here is one. So Greg Dawson and John Masari, uh, who took a chance on me when I left uh, Chico's, which was the role I took after Gap when I wanted to come back to Florida, they took a chance on me moving from retail to restaurants. So they actually hired me into Bloomin' Brands as a senior financial analyst, again, without a finance background without ever having done that type of work before they took a chance on me and put me in a position to succeed. They found what I was good at. You know, they didn't give up on me right away when I struggled, when I got to Bloomin' Brands and they Mm -hmm. eventually found a, a role for me that I really took to and was able to leverage that to build my skill set until I was able to become good at, at all the other components of finance. So those are two I would shout out. Uh, another would be Michael Healy, who took over for John Masari, actually is the Outback CFO while I was with the Outback brand at Bloomin. And he came in and at first I wasn't, I wasn't real sure. I wasn't real sure about, uh, about Michael Healy. And we ended up developing a, a terrific relationship and he really is the one that got me to see that don't be in such a rush to get to the next level, because oftentimes mm-hmm. when people get promoted to that next level before they're ready, they, they struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so what, what always happened with me is by the time I ended up getting promoted, I'd already been doing that role. I'd already been acting in my mind as that mm-hmm. level of a leader, if not higher. So terrific. By time, it's mindset. By time, yeah. By the time I got there, I, I was, al- I was already doing it right. I was yeah. already, I was already succeeding. So he's the one that really helped me to be able to see the value in that and to not get too caught up in myself. Yeah. So I want to touch on this because mindset is very important. So talk to the listeners about luck versus opportunity as well. If you hear your story, they're probably like, oh, this guy's just lucky, but really had opportunities that you didn't want to pass you by. But a lot of times people are given opportunities and they just let them, you know, (laughs) and they say, well, you know, maybe I'm not good enough, but you didn't say that you kept pushing through despite. So tell the viewers a little bit about that. I, th- I think you create your own luck to some degree, right? You may, you may have an opportunity that, that presents itself, you know, that, that you're very fortunate or you're very blessed to get, but, but at the end of the day, it's up to you to, to take it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I was able to, the only time I've really ever gotten a, a favor as an interview was my very first one at HSN. And I, and, and I still had to, to pass it. Right. I still had to succeed in the interview and it was, it was for a job, you know, working overnights for, I mean, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like you, you know, I was handed a, a major role. So I think every, every interview you get, every opportunity you get, you really just have to embrace it as, you know, your chance, but without getting in your head, you know, it's, it's, if this one doesn't work out, it's not meant to be, there's something else mm-hmm. around right. the corner for you. Like, don't get discouraged if, if this role doesn't work out or that job interview doesn't work out, it's not meant to be. Yeah, exactly. 
Michael, talk a little bit about character, how important it is, even in those uh, um, early jobs, right, at HS HSN, you're working. Plus, HSN has taken a lot of my money overnight when I'm watching the channel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> talk about uh, uh, developing character. Now that you went through HSN, moved to some other uh, 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 opportunities, people got passed by, by for promotions, and you were still there. But what happened, I, and I would assume, is your character was being fashioned in those times. Talk about how important it is to be able to have long suffering and develop character, knowing in your mind that tomorrow or the next day I'll be somewhere else. I think adversity is the key to, to my success. If I'm, if I'm being real honest with you and it, and it goes back to, you know, before you, you start your professional career, right? These, these types of things are shaped in childhood and, and everything else. And I I've always thrived on, on adversity. I've used adversity as a, as a motivating tool as something to, to motivate me. Obviously, you know, I, I talked about how poor of a student I was. I was kind of the traditional class clown, you know, type of type of guy. And, <laughs> and there were a lot of people along the way, family members included, that never thought I would amount to anything. That's I, right. I, would, I would either be in the army or I'd be in jail or I, you know, it, mm -hmm. I, I certainly wasn't wasn't going to be a success story. And so family. I've yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Close, very, very close family. And you know, I've always used that as a motivation. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that's for everyone. I'm not suggesting everybody go out and get chips on your shoulders, but that's what's motivated me. And that's what's worked for me. So I, I take all of these little, little things, mm -hmm. you know, this, this person got promoted ahead of me or this person, or this, you know, this person doesn't think I can do it. Like I, I use that as fuel and I use that as motivation and, you know, and, and in some ways I'm probably just trying to prove it to myself. Yeah, but I but I use all that as as a as a fuel and as a tool as a mechanism for me to be better tomorrow than I am today. Fantastic. And so, with you being in place into this role, the CFO CFO role, in which you said you had no financial background, talk to our listeners about how um, they too can overcome situations as such in which or self limiting beliefs, self limiting beliefs in which they think that you know, they're not good enough for this role. Yeah. Look, if you, if you think you're not good enough, then, then you're not going to be right. <laughs> exactly. Mm. I mean, that's, it's, it's all about your mindset. You know, you can, you can look at things as, as opportunities, or you can look at things as obstacles that, that you can't overcome. Right. And, and whatever your mindset is, that's, that's what it's going to end up being. Right. That it's, it's all about, you know, if you put a limit on yourself, then you're going to have a limit on yourself. If, right. if you don't, then you never know what's going to happen. You might, you know, you might fall a little short, but, it, you know, at least, you know, at the end of the day that you gave it your best chance. That's all anybody can do. I mean, that's, that's what, you know, my dad always taught me. He's like, look, I don't, I don't care if you succeed. He's like, just, just try your best. That, that's mm -hmm. all, that's all you can do. I mean, that's, that's free, right? Everybody's yeah. got, everybody's got work ethic if you want it, right? It's there. Mm -hmm. That's, that, that's not a that's not anything that you have to go to school for, right? They don't teach you that in books. Like that's something that you can differentiate yourself. You know, you might not have the pedigree. You might not have, you know, might not come from money. You might not have a great education. You might not have, you know, this class, you might not have an MBA or, or, or whatever, but you know, if you're, if you're willing to learn and you're willing to work and you're willing to be coached, most importantly, then, 
you know, you can, you can accomplish what you want to accomplish, but it's going to take time and it's going to be hard and it's not going to be easy. And, and there's going to be bumps and and bruises along the way. You just got to keep picking yourself up and keep marching. So what was, with that said, uh, Michael, talk a little bit about patience uh, because some people that I mentor, my wife mentors, they want success tomorrow. I mean, they haven't even started anything yet, but the first question out of their mind is, Max, when will this or that happen? Which I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, talk about patience, being patient, going through the process, falling in love with the process and allowing it to kind of reveal mm-hmm. itself naturally. It's that's a tough one. And and I will be the first to admit that I, I struggle with patience and I and I have struggled with patience in the past. And and what I think got me through that is you, you always, you always want to have your, your North star goal of what you ultimately want to achieve. But in between that, like you've got to set more achievable, more measurable progress goals along the way. And so in the micro, you get caught up in those, in those smaller goals. Right. And that's what keeps you going ultimately towards a North star. If you want North star tomorrow, well, guess what? you got to go through, you got to go through all these other components mm-hmm before you get there. So I think that's what ended up working for me. And there were frustrations along the way. You know, we've, we've, we've already kind of talked about those, but you know, what, what got me through is, okay, that didn't work out for me. I'm now highly motivated and here's what I'm going to do now to, to take it up another notch. So here's, here's what I want to do by this time next year. I want to learn about this and I want to do this and I want to reach out to this person for guidance and mentorship because I like what they have to say. I like the things they're doing. I like where their career is going. And I would do that. I would reach out across different, different brands and, and, you know, and different people within the company of folks that I admired from afar. And I would, I would have lunch with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would do these types of things. And some of them don't work out. It's not a good, it's not a good mentorship fit and other times it would. And so when I started to get frustrated and lose patience, I'd set up a lunch or I'd set up something. And, and they, they would always have those words of wisdom to help kind of get me through that difficult period and motivate me to be even better than whatever that was that I thought was such a great opportunity. Right. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> Stories sound familiar. So tell us, what is your uh, biggest failure within the role that you've um, that you have now the CFO, CFO role. Why can I say CFO? <laughs> what, <laughs> what is your biggest failure within that role? And how did you overcome it? Biggest failure in my current role? Yes. So when I first, uh, when I first got to Miller's, you know, I, I had been at Bloomin' Brands for over nine years. So it had been a long time since I had a first day. And you had to learn all new people. You had to learn all new players. You had to get to know your team. And, and pretty early on, there was someone on my team that I just, I just didn't think was going to fit. And I tried to let it play out and, and try to try to do all the, you know, all the coaching and the, in the setting the expectations and, and doing those types of things. And it just, it just wasn't working. And unfortunately, when, when the COVID situation happened, that was really tough for casual dining restaurants. It was really yes. tough for us at Miller we had to make a lot of really difficult, tough decisions on furloughs mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and productions in force and those types of those types of things. But 
this this individual and, and this is a lesson that I learned in my past from another mentor of mine, um, Dave Dino, who's now the CEO of Bloomin' Brands. And he always said, don't let dead wood rot. Mm. And, and what he meant like by that. that is if you have someone on your team or in your organization that is not a fit culture or otherwise, the longer you let them stay, mm -hmm. the worse it's going to get, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the harder it's going to be to clean up that mess. So I think the probably the biggest failure I had was was coming in and you know, it's it's a it's an awkward place when you first start a new role as the leader because people are trying to figure out what you are and who you're mm -hmm. and, and what you're about, right? And who right. you are. Right. And if you come in and you just start, you know, either you know picking people off or that you know you're going to get the reputation of like, well, this guy's just coming in to clean house, and that was right. not the intention that I had. And in fact, I inherited a, a tremendous team mm -hmm. uh, at uh, at Miller's Alehouse. Was very fortunate for that, but but there was one example there where you, that it it should have happened sooner and it didn't. And there ended up being a much uglier cleanup sure. than there needed to be. It turns into a plague. It, it was a whole, <laughs> it ended up yeah. being a whole thing and there, and it had tentacles everywhere and mm -hmm. it would have been a clean break early then, mm -hmm. and that would have been better for all parties involved. And so that, that's probably the biggest failure that I've had so far. Yeah. And uh, Michael, if you can have lunch with three people dead or alive today, and uh, who would those three people be? And what what is the reason why? Man, you know, I I am I mentioned earlier I'm so big on on adversity and 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 overcoming you know tough obstacles. I'd love to to be able to like have have some type of a and I'm just going off the cuff here, but you know when I think about people that have have sacrificed and have have given given up things for the greater good. I'd love, you know, Pat Tillman, who was a, was an NFL football player who actually walked away from a, a pretty large multi-million dollar contract in order mm -hmm. to, to join the army and, and to fight, you know, for our country after nine 11 and, and then learning, you know, from his point of view of we're maybe not in this war for the right reasons. And mm -hmm. I would love to be able to just pick his brain and understand the decision set that he went through to say, I'm giving up all of this certainty hmm. for this very big unknown. And, wow. and like what, and, and, and what, like, how does that, how does that thought process work? And not only the thought process, but then you actually go and put it into action. I mean, that's just incredible for me. So that would be one. Another would be, um, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King. I think when you want to talk about adversity, and all the things that that he had to go through in that period of time, how do you do it? I mean, mm -hmm. like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I, how do you keep your cool? How do you yeah. keep your composure? How do you continue to deliver a consistent message? There's a lot there that that you know leadership can can take from you know in the in the whether it's you're in the corporate world or not because. If somebody like him can do it under those circumstances, yeah, I mean, it's a layup for us, right? Yeah, right, I'm, right. Not, we're on easy street here, <laughs> right, so right. I'd love to get some tips and some pointers on, you know, how do you keep your composure? How do you continue to kind of deliver the consistent? How do you how do you overcome the adversity? I mean, that's there's just so much there to to unpack that I just think that that you know, I mean, that people people would pay. A lot of money for yeah. for that type of knowledge, you know, and, and experience. So that would be another one. The third one, 
You know, I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know, my, my uncle Bill, you know, he was always, um, you know, a big part of my life growing up. He was a, uh, you know, sort of another father figure to me. He was my mom's brother and he passed away when I was in ninth grade. He had a heart attack and uh, I'd love to just reconnect with him and, and catch him up on, on everything. Let him meet, and it, see it, you know, him let, see let him meet my, my son doing. and my daughter and, and my wife and, and just mm-hmm. kind of reconnect, reconnect with him a yeah. little bit and, and uh, you know, get some perspective from him. Cause he was always a pretty even keeled guy. And, and I think he would be somebody that, that I could, I could kind of lean on a, a little bit, you know, more so than I, than I probably have um, today. That's terrific. Yeah. That's terrific. I think everyone has uncle Bill within their family. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I hope so. Pretty I common. Hope yeah. But uh, tell us, well, tell us one thing that you think that's, uh, maybe we didn't ask you or some information that you can leave with our listeners on, but we didn't know you well enough, uh, a fact or something that maybe somebody, somebody that someone misunderstands about you. I think the, I think the biggest misconception about me for people that don't know me really well is that I, I probably had an easy path, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively young guy who's who's moved up you know the food chain rather quickly and and i think that there's this there's this perception because people see you and they and they automatically judge you right no matter no matter what it is good bad or indifferent and so i think what what people realize is that you know life's a journey man and and everybody's got their own path everybody's got their own way and everybody has their own stuff that they gotta sort through internally and, and have to figure out in order to, to be successful. And a lot of times that stuff holds people back. And I think the sooner you can make amends with whatever it is in your past that's bothering you or, or holding you back or, or figure out how to turn it around and use that as, as a motivating factor for you. I mean, that's going to free you up to all types of things, because I think the, the, the biggest, you know, misconception is that, you know, the only path is the easy path. And, and frankly, there, there is no easy path. There's just varying mm-hmm. degrees of difficulty. Right. Yeah. And so whatever your path is, there's plenty of paths, much more difficult than mine, certainly. And, and, and so figure out what, what that is that you're looking for, look within yourself and find out if what you're chasing, are you even passionate about it? Cause yeah. if you're not passionate about it, I'm sorry to say, but it's probably not going to work out for you the way that the way that you want and if you are passionate about something and you're not doing it, figure out how to do more of that and mm-hmm. less of what you're doing. Right. And, and that's that's probably the parting wisdom that I would, I would impart to people. That's fantastic. I was just coaching an individual on self-sabotage the other day. Uh, well, Sal, uh, Michael, uh, uh, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, be with us here today and sharing your journey, uh, leaving us with some uh, nuggets that the listeners can take with them. Any last words, uh, you know, something on, on your chest that you'd like to share? Just be your best, you know, every day. Just try to be a little better than yesterday. It's hard. Some days you take a step back. But just just remember that North Star and that goal mm-hmm. that you're chasing and like find, some, find right. some in between goals that are manageable that you can check off because there's no greater feeling than the sense of accomplishment. And if you can check some things off your list and feel good about it, it's a great feeling and it really keeps you going. At least it, it works for me. OK, yeah. tell, also tell our listeners your social sites, like where can they find you online? 
Um, I'm on LinkedIn, if, if you'd like to find me, Michael Blair on LinkedIn, uh, Chief Financial Officer for Miller's Ale House. Other than that, I'm, I'm kind of a social media recluse. So <laughs> that's going to be about it. I don't post a lot on there, but I'm active and I look and I'll, I'll like things and share things that I think are, uh, that I think are important. Fantastic. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. And we truly appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was actually my very first podcast, so I was pretty pumped to do it. Absolutely. Perfect. And we'll have you back on again in Mm -hmm. a couple of months so we can kind of follow up with you and some of the amazing things that you're doing. All right. Looking forward to it. Hey, podcast fans. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Evolving to Power. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to get updates for future episodes. We'll see you next time.